Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time yet again, broadcasting almost live from deep beneath an old Babbage's. It's Tavern Voices, the first and only podcast dedicated to unfiltered North Carolina news. I'm your host, Kevin King, and with me, as always, is our other host and talk radio aficionado, Tyler Crawley. Welcome, welcome, my friend. Oh, good to be here, as always, and Babbage's. Oh, man. Talk about nostalgia. Speaking of nostalgia real quick, because you brought that up, is you know, that, that's where I always used to go in the mall to go buy, look at the games that I couldn't afford as a child. Uh, but it's the 20th anniversary of the Matrix, first Matrix movie. So just wanted to throw that out there. Nostalgia and all. I saw you so. posting about that. Yeah. That's, that's exciting that's crazy. stuff. I know when you're a dork, when I was like a dork in high school, like that movie was like, that movie was awesome. So it, it's, yeah. uh, well, it was good. <laughs> speaking of the intro, so obviously we have been hiding out in undisclosed defunct businesses for over a year now. That's true. And I think we might be getting close to running out of places to hide. Oh, and I, I, we talked about this. I, I said you were going to run out at some point. I, I, I am. So I'm thinking that either, um, you know, I don't really want to rotate back through because then yeah. people can kind of guess where we might be. And it's going to make things less secure, you know, with net neutrality and taxes killing everyone. It's a wonder that we've made it this far. Um, so I have a different idea. So, um, we, you know, we, we'll, we'll try to be in a different place next week. But I just wanted to warn right. people, Babbage's was kind of drawing uh, drawing from the bottom of the barrel. That's just true. Leave it at that. That's true. It's almost another store. It's almost coming back. It's like vintage at this point. It's, it's like you can go buy the video games back then, but now they're twice as expensive as they were when they were new because they're that much harder to find. Like old Nintendo, very difficult to find. All right. Well, if we really want to be protected, Kevin, one place we can go maybe – is Pender County. That, of course, is in our area or in my area down here in southeastern North Carolina. I live in New Hanover County, but we call it a little tri-county area down here. We got Brunswick, Pender, and of course, New Hanover. And Pender County will be voting tonight. Today is Monday, April the 1st. This is not an April Fool's joke, by the way. This is for real. Uh, They're voting tonight on whether or not they're going to become a gun sanctuary county. And in case you're wondering what that means, here's kind of the three principles of being a gun sanctuary county. One, the unalienable right to keep and bear arms as specified in the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the Constitution of North Carolina, and further upheld by the subsequent decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court, the right as originally written and understood to keep and bear arms for self-defense, personal safety, protection of one's family, and in defense of one's community and county, and the right to manufacture, transfer, purchase, and sell firearms and ammunition designed for the purposes outlined above rights guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution and the Constitution of North Carolina. And so basically, they will ignore any state and federal law that they deem is infringing on the Second Amendment. And a lot of conservatives, a lot of Second Amendment people, very happy about this. And so, Kevin, here's my question. What is the difference between a sanctuary city that says we're not going to follow federal and state gun laws and a sanctuary city that says we are not going to follow federal and state immigration laws. Is there a difference? That is a very good question, Tower. Well, obviously, there is an ideological difference, which means anyone that disagrees with you is wrong and anyone who agrees with you is right. So obviously, that's the major difference because <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if you're for sanctuary cities for immigration, you obviously have to be against gun sanctuaries. It's the new world we live in. 
Um, you know, I actually, I kind of want to sit down and think this down deeper. So can you, can we just pause the show for about half an hour? Um, because I, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any sort of actual like legal difference because gun rights are in, enshrined in both the state and federal constitutions. I don't think immigration is, but I, I'm with states rights and local is best. So obviously being an objective person like me, I think that they should both be fine. <laughs> well, what's, what's really interesting to me is that, you know, I did some research and of course I ended up at Cato because where else would you end up when you're looking where for Where else <laughs> would you land? And Cato obviously leans not to open borders, but they're definitely more uh, open about immigration. And there was a really interesting post about immigration. And the argument was being made is that nowhere in the Constitution does it give the federal government authority on immigration, which is really weird to think about because that's all we think about. We think like that's like the main job of the federal government is immigration, protecting our borders. But nowhere in the Constitution does it give the power to either the executive branch or legislative branch. And the argument is, is that this is exactly what uh, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison were actually against giving that power to the federal government, uh, mostly because they were worried about uh, uh, the the government restricting immigration. And they're they wanting to encourage people to come to the country, you know, as it was trying to grow. And so they didn't want to put any restrictions up there. And so it's very weird to look back at sort of the founding of this country, because, yeah, I mean, you're right. The, the rights are enshrined in the Constitution. But at the same time. It also doesn't say anything about immigration. It doesn't say that, you know, this, you know, that the federal government does have authority on this and therefore that, you know, the, the a decision that they make therefore should be held by all the states, uh, which to be honest with you, anyone's, you know, the whole idea of the Constitution is the exact opposite of that. If it doesn't say the federal government has the power, then the states have the power. And so if a state or a county, uh, let's just say state, for example, says we're not going to abide by national immigration law, I, I think you have to say, okay. And it's the same way you look at, say, a gun sanctuary. I don't think there is a difference, but you're right. Both sides are going to love their sanctuary city and hate the other kind of sanctuary city. You got to love it. It was funny because when the story way before it broke, I was talking about this on my radio show. And the example that I used was a gun sanctuary city. And then the next day, Pender County announced. And I said, either they listen to the show or this is the biggest coincidence on the planet. Either way, perfection. Because now we get to see both sides uh, see if they're consistent or not. And didn't uh, wasn't it Cherokee County? Just yeah, past Cherokee this? was yeah. That's where they got the idea from was Cherokee County, right? So over but, in the western part of the state. Yeah, but there was a there was a, there was a bigger issue earlier this year in the state of Washington where they passed a state law and a bunch of county sheriffs said they're not going to abide by it. And so we're actually seeing more and more of this, and it's really weird to see what's going to happen because I think you're going to start seeing a lot of you know if these hold up. I think you're going to see what happens next. Are we going to have tax uh, sanctuary cities? Are we? I mean, what? what I mean, it, it, it. What is the? What are the possibilities? Where does this end uh, with regards to what you can sort of deny uh, and still be an American citizen? It's it's very interesting. And this is one of those areas. And I'm glad you brought this up, Tyler. That I feel like we need to emphasize, and conservatives need to take the opportunity when given to actually explain our side, our viewpoint of this whole constitutional, uh, you know, idea of, of, of government. And that is the idea that the constitution doesn't give us our rights. The constitution 
protects our rights. It is supposed to chain the government. It's not supposed to say the people can only do what is allowed in the Constitution. It says people can do whatever they want except for these small little things the government has the power to do. But otherwise, these powers are enumerated to the states and to the people, to the people. And um, hopefully, maybe when we've seen so many overreaches of government that have now started to affect the left over the last several years, um, you you would think that with the, the gay marriage debate and a bunch of other things going on, they might say, well, wait a minute, that's not the role of government to tell me who I can and cannot marry. But I don't I don't know if that's going to wake anyone up because now they're saying we want the government to be the biggest it's ever been in the Green New Deal. So maybe it hasn't really sunk in certain people you can't rationalize with. Well, I think there's but, also a misunderstanding of who exact of what the ruling was, the Obergefell ruling that that made gay marriage legal. They see, I think, the Supreme Court as sort of a government in a way, I mean, I know that it is technically, you know, it's the it's the you know top court in the land, but their ruling was essentially the federal government can't you know discriminate. I mean, and so they look at it as the federal government saving gay marriage because if you remember, it was a lot of states, North Carolina included, that passed a law saying that gay people can't get married. Uh, Amendment One, I believe it was called, and so they actually see the federal government as having saved the day on that issue and not realizing that the only reason the issue got the attention that it did was because people were suing states and and, 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 and were doing things on the state level to begin with. But they always see the federal government um, uh, as coming in and saving the day. And so you're never going to convince them that the federal government, you know, as the famous saying goes, the a government big enough to give you what you want is also big enough to take it away. They never get that second part. They just always like the first part. The government gave me this. The government gave me that. And they don't realize, well, it could also take it away at any time. Yeah, it's 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 important, and we see this happen all the time with trying to protect the rights of people. And there is a certain group of people, um, especially here in North Carolina, but I think it's a major nationwide problem that are having some battles over their rights. And those people happen to be student athletes. For years, I've been saying that something is going to have to change with the college athletic programs. In fact, one of the first articles that I wrote when we launched Tavern Voices was about how many millions of dollars that athletics were bringing in to these big schools. Namely, I think Texas A&M was the, uh, the top breadwinner. Well, the North Carolina Senate has actually introduced legislation that would act as athlete protections for those uh, students who are playing at UNC schools. The bill would do things like provide health care, ensure academics, protect due process, and even provide access to legal representation. Tyler, a couple weeks ago, I saw a proposal by a former NBA star who is launching an NCAA alternative for young uh, basketball players. Do you think that true student athlete reform is finally on its way? Yeah, I think it's on its way. I just don't know what's going to happen anywhere near as quick as uh, everyone thinks that it's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad that we're getting some protections. I mean, cause the thing is the problem that I'm worried about is that there's going to be, and this is the way we, we always look at college athletes uh, or athletics, I should say, is we always look at like men's football and men's basketball. And then we go, is this good for those sports? And so a lot of times people are claiming, well, people should be allowed to do this. People should be allowed to do that. But they're only looking, they're only framing it through that view. And the reality is, you know, 99% of college athletes will never play professional sports ever. And so a lot of these reforms are going to have to be for the overall 
um, athletic department. And so some of the reforms they're looking at in North Carolina, you know, I like, you know, legal protections. And I really, though, am a fan of because I already think that if you're a college student, you're never going to play professional sports. The system is already pretty good for you. Uh, that you can go to school, go for free. In some cases, you even get a little stipend, uh, and you can get a great education at a great school. And you know that that is a great fair trade, I think. However, when you get to the bigger sports and like the Zion Williamsons, and there was a great uh, tweet I saw about the uh, Virginia basketball coach uh, Tony Bennett, I think is his name. Uh, funny enough, and then they they, they uh, um, mentioned that he got a two hundred fifty thousand dollars bonus when they made the Elite Eight, and he gets another. $250,000 bonus when they make the final four. And someone said, and all the players get nothing. And yeah, I mean, it's, there is a big inequity here. And a lot of people have now noticed this ever when Zion Williamson almost you know, hurt himself because his shoe fell apart in that first Duke UNC game. And so I think that is something that does need to be rectified. I think it's going to take a little longer but that needs to be rectified. They need to start getting paid because it is pretty ridiculous. If you're only going to be at school for a year, like pretty much the entire Duke starting lineup, that giving them a free year of college is, is almost worthless. It's great for everybody else. So a lot of these protections are going to be great for the rest of uh, the college athletes out there. But the people who are still getting the short, short, short end of the stick uh, are the uh, diaper dandies, the one and dones who are in and out bringing all of this revenue to the to their college and not getting anything out of it. That needs to change. Yeah. And Tyler, I have to tell you that I'm afraid that you and I are the only people included with all of our listeners who uh, recognize Tony Bennett, who he might be. So <laughs> yeah. I just want to say I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the great, you know, kind of B-list crooner, right? Like he just never made it. To no, no, B-list? You think he's B-list? I don't. I mean, all he does now is make tracks with other. That's always done yeah, for like yeah, twenty-five I'm about years. Now, but I'm saying, like back in the day, I mean, he was pretty close to being Rat Pack status. I mean, he was never part. He was never like in that main group. But I mean, to even be close to that group, you got to be. I would say a list, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe Sinatra would be doing duets with Kanye West at this point. If he's still around, I don't know. I mean, you gotta make a buck. I mean, one thing we know about, uh, aging, uh, uh, musicians is they're not exactly the best with, uh, when it comes to finances, <laughs> I think on John's made, I don't know how much money in his life. And he's, I think he's constantly on the, on the uh, wrong side of broke the weirdest thing ever. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's doing that, but I mean, I would say, I gotta assume he's had a bunch of big hits. I, I don't know. I just I don't know if I call him B list. I'd say he's okay. got he's got to be up there. So I'm going to defend Tony Bennett. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, I, I just I just had to bring that up. Uh, but yeah, no, you're, you're you're absolutely right on this this issue. And I think that that that's what has to be looked at is how these schools are making so much money off of these students and they have nothing to fall back on. I'm not in favor of paying students. Um because you are getting an education, all that. But I think there should be things set up where I've always proposed there should be like a a fund, right? Like some sort of fund. If you played sports at a particular school and let's say you do, you're a one and done, you go into the NBA, you blow your knee out in two years and you want to start a, start a business or something. Maybe there's a loan you can get from those hundreds of millions of dollars that you made the school over that year or two, or maybe you just are always have the opportunity to come back and finish up your degree free of cost. You know, just little things like that. I don't know. I think they could start with some small reformations, move forward. But I like the fact that this bill is up. At least they're talking about it. Um, and then we'll we'll see what happens because you know they say that a a camel is just a, a congressional committee on a horse. 
So you never know what's going to actually happen once it makes it through, uh, makes it through the uh, the lovely legislative process. But I just had to bring this story up because I, I like to see when when real issues are being discussed. It's not only just teacher pay and Medicaid expansion at the General Assembly. Well, I used to be really against paying students like they're amateurs, they're amateurs. And the more and more money these college sports are making, I mean, the, the March Madness, I, I don't even know what the number is. It's in the billions. And these kids, no one's getting paid, and it's insane. And you look at how many kids go to the NBA and end up not doing much. And I mean, th- this could be the actually their prime time to be making money in some cases. Some, you know, like JJ Reddick's a great example. I mean, when he was at Duke, he he was worth far more than he ever has been in the NBA. I mean, not that he's a horrible NBA player, but I mean, he was such a star at Duke. And so some of these players, this is their peak time. And they're not making any money. They're not getting anything out of it. And so they need to be getting something, I think. Are you saying that J.J. Redick is like every other Duke player in the NBA? <laughs> the Grand Hill had a decent career. Yeah, he was the one. He was he was the only one. That was all they had. That was all they had. You know, we got to take any opportunity we can to, uh, to, to bash on Duke a little bit. That's true. That is Since- very true. Since your Terps and my Hills are out, at least Duke's out now. So, uh, yeah, I know. You know, I guess, I guess, go UVA, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to root for, uh, you got to root for an ACC team. I think by default, you got to root for an ACC team. Um, all right, speaking of making money, because we're going to talk about occupational licensing. So there was an article in the News and Observer, I think, over the weekend, in which they were talking about how charter schools don't have to follow the same guidelines as traditional public schools, meaning they don't have to hire teachers. You know, with teaching license, and I think it's you know thirty or forty percent of of uh, some charter schools, the teachers don't have a teaching license, and they pointed out interestingly enough in the uh, uh, in the article that there's no study that conclusively conclusively or conclusively finds one way or the other whether it's you know bad or good. There's nothing. Some schools have low teacher license rates and they do really well. Some schools have high teacher uh, rates and do very well as well. So there's no correlation that they can find. And what was interesting was the teachers unions and some of the teachers were all saying how great it is to get a teaching license. And to me, this is the problem with occupational licensing is it creates this bizarre circumstance where people have to jump through all these hurdles and hate it while they're doing it. Once they do it, they feel like everyone else should also have to do it because they did it. And so they also perpetuate the continuation of occupational licensing. And the reason this is a problem is there was a study that came out at the end of last year by the uh, Institute for Justice, which sounds like a huge liberal organization, but it's not. Uh, They found that 2 million jobs a year are lost to occupational licensing, which, you know, creates these hurdles and burdens for people to possibly look into a new profession and then can't. So it costs us 2 million jobs uh, a year. And uh, thanks to the fact that by lowering the ability for someone to enter a field, it then creates a situation where there's fewer people in that field and it increases the cost of the service that they're offering. And that is called deadweight loss. Deadweight loss costs the national economy a total of $6 billion a year. And then it gets in even more numbers. I mean, it's, it's billions upon billions upon billions of dollars, this occupational licensing costs. And Kevin, I completely agree for licensing when it comes to state medicine. And I'm not even against having a certification that might look good on a resume for if you want to be a teacher, that might be a bonus. Hey, look, I went there, I got a certification. Certifications I'm okay with. But demanding that people have these licenses for professions where there seems to be no real benefit or really even a safety risk. Uh, For example, in Texas, they did it according to the, the Institute for Justice Study, they looked at florists in Louisiana are supposed to get a license 
and they compared the flowers in Louisiana to Texas and found no difference whatsoever and said, you really need a license for florists in Texas. And so, Kevin, like I said, I'm all for, you know, certain professions where safety is involved, medicine, things like that. But this occupational licensing uh, has just reached a point where it's starting to be a detriment to our economy. And I think we start rolling some of them back. Well, you know, they say that sometimes you can't see the florists for the trees. And maybe that's what we're maybe that's what we're experiencing right now. But um, so occupational licensing is one of those weird things that I got really, really acquainted to during my uh, stint at the legislature. So my boss was very active in what we call the boring subjects, administrative law. Uh, He worked a lot with the. um, the rules commission, uh, rules review commission. And, and as they're parsing through all of these, you know, basically the, the, the middle ground where there's no actual wall regarding this, but we have rules that these, uh, branches of government have then made that then impact different industries. Um, so they've been going through and trying to like sort through just a mess of rules that we've put together over 200 years of North Carolina government. Um, and so obviously one of these areas that they've looked at, um, PED, um, at the General Assembly, did a big report on all of the different occupational licenses. And this is actually kind of funny. No one can actually tell you how many occupational licenses are required in the state of North Carolina. <laughs> of That's course. how gray the area is. There's different numbers depending on who you're talking to. Um, some of them literally affect like a dozen people. Some of the, there's like maritime ones where you have to have a certain licensure to, to participate in like some sort of river boating or something. I'm, it's, it's, a, it's madness is really what it is. Um, so this is something I've become very acquainted with. And one of the biggest things that I think is the issue is just like we were talking about earlier with people misunderstanding the Constitution. People get this fundamental misunderstanding that I call the but for government argument. <laughs> and that is – But for government, things would be in complete disarray, right? If you didn't have a licensure for a florist, I mean, imagine the people who would be pricked by roses, you know, like we need government here. Um, You see that with every industry and you are dead on that when you talk to people in these industries – and I've sat through numerous meetings with a wide variety. They will tell you exactly how they have to keep people out of their industry because of potential malpractice. And I mean, I'm talking about like family therapists and stuff, you know, I mean, just things that don't actually harm people. I mean, you're talking about mediation between couples and different things where you have to have a degree to kind of work on that anyway. Um, and I think that you're right, that certificates are definitely the way to go. So it's, you can get credentials that say I'm better than someone else, or I've gone through a more lengthy process than someone else. But the idea that, but for a licensure, the total, the economy itself would just implode is absurd, but no one thinks that way. They think that if they're if you don't have home inspectors and home builders and all these codes and rules and and you know realtor licensure and, and appraiser licensures and you name it doctors dentists I mean we've had to fight numerous lawsuits as a state um, because like the dental board shut down all of these teeth whitening places that were in like your local mall. And they came in and said, you can't whiten teeth because we're dentists and we say we're only only we are allowed to do that. So there was this massive lawsuit. Um, So I know I've just spewed out a whole bunch of random information. But, yes, down with occupational licenses. End of story. End of story. Yeah. I mean, it's it's 
when you look at the actual, like, I mean, the numbers alone, I mean, it's some, some reports have said it could be a hundred billion dollars a year. It's costing the, the U S economy. And yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. It creates the situation where people that have done it, they go, well, I did it. So the next person should have to do it. And people always joke about wall street regulating itself. People get mad like, Oh, wall street donates to politicians and the politicians make ruling, you know, make uh, regulations for wall street. And that, that shouldn't happen. Well, isn't that exactly what's happening when we ask teachers, whether or not you should have to go to college and get an education you know, degree and then uh, go through the entire process of getting a license. Why are we asking them if that's what you should have to do when they've already done it and they already have that license? Like what's the difference between asking them if they should or shouldn't have to get a license and, the, and their next competition should and having Wall Street regulate itself. It, it, neither of them makes sense, but yet for some reason we do that all the time. We go, oh, no, the people in the industry, they like these licenses. It's like, yeah, because it keeps out competition and they've already gone through it. And so absolutely they like it. And that's the problem. It's it's dumb for Wall Street to regulate itself. It's also dumb for teachers to regulate whether or not there should be licenses or not. Stop using logic, Tyler. <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot. How dare you? Wait, and here's the other thing is I think that what happens is actually the opposite of what is intended. And we talk about this a lot when you've ever watched Freakonomics or something like the intention is often not the outcome because you're affecting people's motives. Mm-hmm. And when people think that, well, if a teacher has to be licensed, then we don't need to participate in our child's education. Like we just send them off to the professionals or we don't need to check in on the plumber or the home inspector or this person or that person, because I mean, the government's involved, right? So everything should be fine. We don't, we don't need to actually, you know, there's no caveat emptor. There's no buyer beware. There's no self guarding. It's just, we blindly trust because of this government layer that doesn't, that doesn't actually in the end cause for, um, you know, the, the, the proper outcome, the, the safety, the, um, you know, that that's why you see malpractice and different things. Like obviously if licensure fixed it, you wouldn't have those cases. Yeah. And also it should, we should remind everyone that this is also the, the fallacy of, of, or hubris, I should say of humans, where we think that we can remove error from the equation. I mean, the reality is we do all of the, we put all these burdens up, all of these regulations and yet we still see problems you know so you write the up with the home builders we still see homes that get built crappy we still see things i mean so it's not a fail safe in fact and, and this is you know a very libertarian argument but they always you know argue is that the 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 more the consumer is involved in making sure the product is made properly the better off it'll be the more that we assure the consumer that government is looking into it and they're going to make sure the product is great usually you end up with a situation where it's more dangerous because people put way too much trust into something that they didn't verify and i'm not saying we get rid of regulations and we get rid of certifications but they definitely need to be scaled back yeah we've seen that with the boeing max 8 fiasco if anybody's yeah. kept up with that where they're now saying well well boeing and the faa are cozy are they too cozy like or, who's who's watching the watchman and i couldn't have planned it better how this conversation has gone over this show because my last story just like falls right in the lap I mean, this this couldn't be any more perfect. See, sometimes, Tyler, I lie awake at night just being thankful for government protecting me and watching over me. Because, I mean, without government, we all know that evil corporations would just destroy education and healthcare and our overall livelihoods. Now, luckily, we every once in a while get a news article like this one I'm about to tell you about that kind of bring me back down to reality. You see, there's an organization called the Environment America Research and Policy Center 
That's a mouthful. Just released a new study that gave North Carolina a grade of F for not removing lead from school drinking water. That's right. I did not misspeak. There is lead in our children's water at school. Not our children, Tyler, because we don't have kids, but True. but other people's kids, the, the metaphorical uh, royal we. So it's OK, though. The federal EPA does not actually require lead testing in schools. So I'm sure this probably is not a big deal whatsoever. Luckily, there is new legislation at the NCGA to provide funding to take a look at this issue. Tyler, my real question is this. At what point do people realize that government isn't really helping that much? I mean, they should. They don't know it by now. They're never going to know it. I mean, they should know it. <laughs> but it, it's it's. I mean, th- this is the problem is that we tell people, oh, don't worry, we put this regulation in and we put that regulation in and and, and so therefore everything's OK. And so nobody asks any questions when in reality, what you want is a minimal amount of regulation uh, enough so that people can't because, you know, you never want to go full on libertarian, right? Full on libertarian. Never always, go full libertarian. Never go full libertarian. You know, that, that's bad <laughs> because, you know, their argument is, is that, well, we just let people sell, you know, for example, pharmaceuticals, let people sell drugs and they kill people, then we'll find out and then we'll take it off the marketplace. I'm like, well, I don't want people to die <laughs> because so why don't we just have a regulatory board that looks and does its best job at trying to make sure that the medicine that people are selling isn't killing people. You're never going to be 100 percent correct. I mean, we have a pretty, pretty overburdensome process right now and drugs still get out there that have uh, horrible side effects. So you don't want to get rid of it completely, but you also at the same time don't want to make it seem so safe that people stop paying attention to what's happening uh, locally. And, th- and this is a big issue. I mean, down here in Southeastern North Carolina, we got the whole Gen X situation, which doesn't seem to be as big of a deal as just the overall idea of what's in our water to begin with. People have just sort of thought that the water is safe uh, because it is. I mean, it's way better than it used to be. Uh, but at the same time, it's also worse in a way because there's all these new chemicals and and what you want is a is a perfect sort of happy medium that I mentioned earlier, where you want the government looking out for us and making sure things are done properly, but you also don't want everyone just to rest and say, "Well, the government's got it under control." It's sort of Ronald Reagan says the scariest words in the English language are, "I'm here from the government and I'm here to help." It, those are terrifying. Because government will always mess up. It will. And so what you want is government there, but you also want the people to be very much involved to hold everyone accountable. And that includes not only corporations that do bad, but when government does bad, when they fail to regulate, get them out. Far too often we see situations where you know government screws up and everyone keeps their jobs and nothing changes. And so what we need to bring back to society really is accountability and people paying attention. How you do that, I have no idea. Yeah, good good luck. Because, I mean, like you said, the issue is with Gen X down in, in Wilmington in the southeastern part of the state, that what they were doing were legal amounts. Yeah. Right. I mean, the Department of, of Environmental Quality, DEQ, under Democrats, 150 years of Democrats were like, yeah, that's fine. Dump that in the in the in the ground. No worries. And then you have here the EPA does not even require lead testing of water in public schools. And then, I mean, so, so who is watching the watchman? I mean, it's like if someone didn't think to tell someone exactly what to do, then it's just not being done. 
Well, so the hog farms, that's also a big thing down here in southeastern North Carolina. And what's really weird about the hog farms is they're losing all of these lawsuits. Like people are suing the hog farms, saying like they're polluting the water, doing all these things. What's really bizarre is that the hog farms are following all of the regulations that have been put forth by the federal government and state government. They have not broken one law. They have not broken one regulation, anything. And yet they're still being sued. Like, I don't understand how that makes any sense. I mean, if you need any more evidence um, of, uh, you know, this idea where government's like, hey, that's fine. And the people are the ones that are standing up um, and saying, no, we don't want these hog farms here. And so, you know what, maybe we should change the laws. And maybe maybe the people say, well, we want the laws to be stricter. And that'd be fine. But I think it's weird that you have this like situation where the government has these like low level laws they're following them and then the people are still suing them and winning in court. And I think what they should be doing is going after the government and saying, make the laws stronger or make the laws weaker, whatever it is. But it's almost like government is always never at fault. They're just, it's fine. Whether it's too burdensome or too uh, um, uh, easy, it, the government just, it's, it's always out of the equation um, with regards to culpability. And I think that's the problem is that they need to be held accountable just like the companies are. And until that happens, we're, we're sort of in this weird place. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I guess you and I should have gone to school to, uh, to do some kind of tort law. Uh, I think we're in the wrong profession. Um, but no, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. It's like, who, who is to blame? Although how many millions is the state of North Carolina spending, um, across all the municipalities and counties in lawsuits? We talked about that two or three shows ago. During the Sunshine Week, where they were talking about all the different, <clears throat> excuse me, whether it be kind of malpractice or negligence or just, um, you know, like plea deals, where they're just forking out all this money in lawsuits, and you advocated for more attorneys, so maybe that's where we're headed. That's true. I don't that know. is true. But maybe the solution to this particular problem is that you know they send out that list every year that's like bring Kleenex and some hand sanitizer. They need a lead test kit. For the uh, classroom, and then we could we could just start to to clean things up. I think that's obvious the obvious solution. Well, yeah, and I, I do want to say though, because what's interesting about the the hog farms and the lead story is, you know, I'm sort of saying, hey, people need to be involved, and people are in southeastern North Carolina about the hog farms, and they're and they're they're standing up and they're saying, hey, we want stronger regulations. Um, my point is, until they get stronger regulations, you can't penalize hog farms for following the law. And so if you want the law to be stronger and the people want the law to be stronger, that's fine. People want the law to be weaker then that's fine. Um, but it's just weird that government sets a regulation and then the hog farms follow it and then they get sued by their neighbors. Like that's just, that's bizarre. I mean, that opens up sort of Pandora's box. I mean, it's like, so you're following the law, but you can still get sued for following the law. Like it, it's just, it's a very weird very weird situation. So I, cool. I'm glad that people are getting involved, like civilian. Like we were just talking about this. I'm glad that the people are standing up uh, and getting involved. But that, that the involvement needs to them telling government, "Hey, this is what you know needs to be done with regards to the regulations," because otherwise it's chaos. Because how do you know what rules to follow? Tell that to uh, McDonald's and their million dollar cup of coffee, right? <laughs> That's actually a documentary on Netflix. Did you ever watch that? I did not. Is it on there now? Uh, I'm not sure. It's called Hot Coffee. And what's really, really interesting about that is that that lawsuit has been completely misconstrued. Like it was actually a legitimate lawsuit. Um, if you watch it and she actually had a good claim, like a McDonald's 
multiple times had been told to stop making their coffee so hot. Um, they had faced uh, uh, warnings from the government or regulatory agencies telling them they've been getting complaints because people are spilling coffee and they're getting like third degree burns. And they said, you guys got to tell about the coffee and they weren't. And so then it finally spilled on this woman and she got like really badly burned and that, and it, it actually got uh, knocked down in court. It was, it was a fraction of what it actually ended up being. Uh, but it's a very fascinating documentary because you actually, it, it changed my mind on the whole thing. It wasn't as frivolous as everyone made it out to be, but um, it's a pretty interesting documentary. Well, now I've got to watch that because you've intrigued me. Yeah, it's called it's called hot oh. coffee. I think it, it's pretty good. Well, um, we'll need to have a follow up on hog farms, apparently, because that's where we're <laughs> where we're headed next in the uh, barbecue capital of the southeast. Oh, and I did want to say real quick. I don't know if you saw this news, Kevin. Uh, Robin Hayes is not running for re-election, so we're not, not going to have a fight yet. at the uh, GOP convention. In uh, I think it's in Concord, I think is where it is uh, this year. And so now we're going to have a new GOP chair and that's going to be an important position. 2020 is going to be a big year in North Carolina. We're going to be like target numero uno. We got a Senate race, you know, president, governor. I mean, it's so this is going to be a big election with uh, Hayes not running again. The only problem is there's no Republicans left to run for an office because they're all in the third and ninth district races right now. <laughs> well, that'll be over. And then 2020, they can all they can all disperse <laughs> after after 2019 like cockroaches. Yes. As soon as the light gets flipped on, we're back to a purple state. Exactly. Well, I've got to flip the light on. Let the cockroaches scram. It's last call. I guess that was an, a good little tidbit that, that we added on at the end. Anything else that nope. you uh, think we need to know about? I got nothing. Nothing. Well, I ask that every week, expecting you to say, oh, yeah, by the way, and then you just say no and stop talking. I just I just I beat you to it by bringing up the Robin Hayes thing. So I I did actually contribute something this week. You did. You contributed something. And we missed last week uh, due to uh, your uh, your personal home renovations or whatever was going on there. Yeah. So, you know, the problem was, I saw this. I saw this um, Bentley that I liked and I only have a two car garage. So I needed a third car, you know, a uh, third spot in my garage. So I had to do a little expansion. So, you know, just, just uh, doing what regular people do, adding another expansion off of my Bentley. So just how I roll. Yeah. You'd, you'd, you'd have better like having a dog named Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. I don't think I could even afford a model Bentley right now. So that's all right. Now I know what to get you for Christmas. So <laughs> a Bentley, you're going to get me a real Bentley. Act surprised. Okay. okay. Act surprised. That's all right. All, that's I, all I, I will ask. be. I will be. All right, my friend. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's do it next week and I'll let you know where we're going to be because, uh, with this economy being what it is, we're running out of defunct businesses. We'll have to wait till the next uh, recession. Then we'll have plenty more, uh, plenty more to go with. I'm down. Sounds good. All right, man. Have a good week. See ya.